The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in stocks and just where this crazy market might be going. I'll be speaking with Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, who pens our weekly trader column. Last week, as he wrote in Trader, the Dow and the S&P both lost 3%. Today, stocks are up 2%. Ben, I'm going to start there. What accounts for the sudden rally and how nice it is to see? Um, well, I guess you could say it's nice to see. Um, but uh, You're a curmudgeon. So- you're starting. I, I, I am a curmudgeon. I'm going to start off curmudgeonly. Um, I, I mean, I, I hate seeing these rallies after big drops um, because it shows that the market really hasn't capitulated yet. Uh, the ostensible reason when we came in this morning, everybody was talking about um, uh, the situation in the UK and how uh, Prime Minister there, uh, Liz Truss, has uh, sort of backed away from tax cuts for the, the richest part of the population. Um, and, you know, and it's like, OK, great they're not going to do that. The bond market's happy. Everybody's happy. We're going to have a rally. Um, I, I think it's more than that. Um, I, I think that it really is the the stock market once again, investors, I should say, once again, looking at what's going on and thinking, um, hey, you know, this means that the Fed's going to capitulate soon. Um, the Fed's going to have to pivot. Um, if it doesn't want to, we'll get into this a bit later. Um, if, it, if it doesn't want things to get to be really, really be a mess, the Fed is going to have to start doing things differently. Um, and I think that's what the market is reacting to. Um, I think that's why we're getting just, it, it's such a big rally in the Dow. It's, uh, you know, up 2.2%. Um, and, and the timing of it was um, interesting as well. It, it largely came, um, you know, the market opened up, but then the big part of the rally started when the uh, ISM manufacturing number uh, came out, the survey there. And it missed by uh, almost two points. It was uh, supposed to come at 52. Is it uh, 50.6? I believe. So the market reads this as a sign of a weaker economy, more likely the Fed will pivot. Yes, bad bad news is good news, uh, yes. at least today. Um, but I, I think what we've ended up seeing, though, is that um, bad news, um, bad news, the, the bad news is good news reaction hasn't lasted. Um, bad news is bad news. It, it ends up meaning that we're, we really are going into a recession. And um, good news is bad news because it means the Fed can't pivot. Um, so I, I think that uh, the, the rally perhaps uh, may be a little misguided. In other words, you don't think it's going to last? Nope. All right. So want to go back to your column this past weekend, which I thought was excellent. And I want to quote three things from the column and then ask you to connect the dots. First, you quote Michael Rourke of Jones Trading, who says the UK has averted a financial crisis. Then you quote a Bank of America strategist who says the Fed will have to balance the objective to slow the economy against the risk of unintended consequences from disrupting the flow of credit. And then you note the market doesn't seem to be fully reflecting the potential chaos. So what is going on here? These are three phrases 
that signal worry that we might be on the verge of a big accident in the markets. That's what people have been talking about. What's behind it? And do you think it's uh, possibly going to work out that way? You know, I think the... Uh... The, the, well, the, the central banks are very aware of what could happen. We saw the, the UK act very quickly um, when, um, I mean, it turns out no, nobody really knew what these things were, but its pension system is using, um, was, was basically using swaps um, to help boost its, um, uh, their returns, um, swaps on, uh, on um, their gilts, uh, the, the, the treasury, the UK treasuries. Um, and the uh, and when rates spiked so much, they started getting margin calls and um, they uh, were having to sell um, more gilts to pay those margin calls. And you ha- had the makings of a you know, perfect spiral that was going to end very badly. And so the, the, the Bank of England came in and started buying bonds. Um, to keep that from happening. And, you know, there's been reports that uh, these swaps have started to get taken off. Um, and so, so much for sleepy pension funds, right? Ex- well, exactly. I mean, this is what, uh, I mean, I hate talking about our competitors, but um, over at Bloomberg, um, uh, they had a great column just about how, um, you know, finance companies are very good at taking what shouldn't be a risky area, which is like a pension fund. Are, are so long term. They buy something and it has to, you know, they they wait 30 years. So they should have no exposure to, to short term stuff like this. And yet finance companies found a way to help them lever up. Well, in a low rate market, everybody's hungry for yield. That's right. Um, and uh, they, they're going to be hungry for yield in a, a high inflation market, too. But uh um, you know, it's it, it's just fascinating that the pension funds were the, the place to, where where things started, and so I mean, banks are central banks are aware of this. They're aware that there are going to be problems, especially when they're moving as quickly as they are, and they seem prepared to act. Um, so, do, do I think we're going to have this same kind of contagion that we had uh, during the financial crisis? No, um, but you don't see you, you typically don't see just one of these blowups. Um, there are probably other places that have similar kinds of things going on that, uh, you know, as rates uh, do their thing, are going to feel more pain and you're going to have bets blow up. Um, I don't know what those are. Um, you know, there's d- different um, points of view on whether U.S. pension funds have exposure to these things. If they do, I'm sure they're calling their banks and trying to unwind them in some way. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you have to assume that there is... Um, that there is leverage in the system and it's uh and, and as rates go up that the problems are going to emerge um and central banks will just have to be ready for that um and, and so i think the key thing is so we had the uk as you said you want me to walk you through these things so we had the uk that they stopped it um and then you know what it does for the fed is that if the fed if everything was perfect would just keep raising rates until they hit a level they think is going to stop inflation but if they're going to blow things up by doing that, they have to find a balance between it. And that's something that I'm not sure how they're going to do. It's going to be a tough one. And it's also going to be set up the stock market for accidents because I think it'll, the market will take um, like a slowing of rate increases as a positive sign without realizing the Fed is doing that is because it's seeing something someplace else that it might be worried about. Um, right. And the problem with a crisis is you never know it until it's full exactly. blown upon you. Yep. Um, and that's where the, uh, the the chaos comes in, um, the potential chaos. We did, we just, uh, you know, if, if the Fed does start to pivot, we're probably going to get a, a big rally. But th- there's so many things that could go wrong. The market is still 
fairly expensive. Um, or I shouldn't say it's expensive. It's down around, uh, P's come down to about 15, which on a long-term average is good. But in bear markets, it often goes lower. Um, and then we also have to worry about, uh, you know, whether these kind of accidents are priced into a 15 PE. And my guess is no. I think you may be right there. So let's talk about the Fed for a moment. The fate of the market is in the Fed's hands, as you as you nicely pointed out. But the fate of the Fed is partly in the hands of the labor market, which has been incredibly strong this year in defiance of rising rates and the Fed's attempts to put a lid on inflation. Friday, the Labor Department is going to release data on non-farm payrolls for September. That is the number to watch this week. What is the consensus estimate for the September jobs report? And if it comes in on target, how will the Fed handle this? We're supposed to get 250,000 new jobs um, in uh, September. Uh, that would be down from 315,000. Um, I mean, employment rate is supposed to stay at 3.7% and wages are supposed to grow at 0.3%, which would be the same as August. Unemployment would also be the same as August. Um, I, th I think if it's on target, um, it's still a problem. 250,000 jobs added is a lot. Um, and, and an unemployment rate of 3.7%, you can't get much lower than that. No, I mean, the last time that the last uh, in August, it, it went up a tick, but it was only because more people are out there looking for jobs, um, which I think the Fed does like to see. But the Fed really needs to see both those numbers weaken um, a bit. Um, the bigger issue is the wages, um, just because they've gone up so much. And so and, and so much of that move has come as people you know go to new jobs. Um, you know, they leave their, their job and get a big raise when they, they move to the next one. Um, and, and so the Fed really wants to see companies stop hiring, stop chasing each other's workers, stop uh, pushing these wages up. Um, and so another, even a consensus report, uh, one that has wages still growing at 0.2% uh, is, is going to be a problem for the Fed. Um, I think the good news is that um, we're seeing some signs that companies are finally getting the message. Um, so in that ISM manufacturing number that I mentioned, um, there's lots of different components to it. Um, one of them is a hiring intentions, um, basically, and that fell under 50%. And that 50% level is the one that separates um, basically expansion from contraction. And so it means that companies are really starting to think twice about hiring. Um, and we'll have to wait to see if this starts to show up in the numbers going ahead. Um, you know, the, uh, there are some other signs if you can, you know, there's lots of different ways to look at the job market. And in some parts of it, uh, there are, um, there, there are signs of weakness that aren't there in the headline numbers. And so we're just going to have to, um, have to keep track of it all. So before we go on to this week's earnings, which we like to do, I want to, I want to pose a question. Hal has asked, what is it that the Fed would be breaking quote but perhaps you can elaborate on that just a little. I mean, it, it's kind of the financial system. Um, I, I guess. Just that, Hal, nothing big. Yeah. Um, the, the, the problem is, is the Fed hikes rates, you get a lot of things happening. Um, one is you have this leverage out there um, that is um, not fixed um, or it has margin calls embedded in it. And um, if the if rates go up, all of a sudden you have companies needing to pay more on their floating rate debt or you have the margin call comes that, that blows up nearly blows up pension funds or a hedge fund or something like that. But the other thing that happens is that as the dollar gets stronger and that's a direct consequence of the Fed's monetary policy, um, liquidity globally tightens up 
and they're, they're too few dollars and everybody's chasing the dollars that there are. Um, and that's where you get uh, potentials for things. I mean, this is what happened in um, with the Asian debt crisis um, where, you know, they they were all tried to stay pegged to dollar and couldn't. And, um, it, it, you know, everything kind of uh, blew up and had to be um, reorganized. So I think that's the, the kind of the worst case scenario here is that, you know, we, we start seeing bigger things than just uh, pension funds uh, start having issues. Um, Credit Suisse is an example um, of one that, you know, they're having issues. Um, higher rates are going to hurt banks. I, we're not going to, I, I can state, I, I'm not going to say 100% certainty that banks are going to be fine, but people are already starting to talk about um, the, the bank balance sheets. Not are they going to go bad, but you know, are they going to have to put more money aside for reserves uh, to meet Fed targets? Because when you have uh, long-term bonds go down as much as they have, and for uh, TLT, which is the um, long uh, treasury bond, uh, ETF, that's down 25% this year. So that means that their reserves have gone down as well. And so you just have to think about how everything is interconnected and um, where the pressure starts to show up. Does it show up in um, in the euro, which is already under um, uh, underneath uh, um, a dollar or in, for European companies who borrowed in dollars or emerging market companies who borrowed in dollars? Um, these are all the things that you have to, to think about when we get into this kind of environment. And there are a lot of people who think because of this, the Fed will have to back down at some point. Otherwise, um, you, you do end up with some huge problems. But as you said at the beginning of the call, central banks are very aware of these issues. Yeah. It doesn't mean they can be avoided, but there's some sort of preparation and awareness, which which suggests that um, things might not be so dire in the end. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I, as I, said, I, I don't think this is 2008. Um, I really don't. But I do think that it's going to be, you know, it's a it's a painful adjustment. We went from years of having no interest on money, having negative real rates. And right now, real rates are up at uh, something like 1.65%. And they were negative just a few months ago. Um, it's, it's huge. My friend Rupal Bansali on the Barron's Roundtable calls it regime change. Yeah. I think that's a very good description. So let's go to 2022 as opposed to 2007. If we close the calendar on 22 today, it would be one of the worst years ever for the U.S. stock market. The S&P is down nearly 30%. Is there any way to tell when this might end? What sorts of signs would you look for to sense that we're at a bottom? Um, one is just the technicals. Um, I think one of the interesting things about last week, and I'm going to sound a positive note here. Um, Yay! It's that so everyone was so focused on the um, the September return, which was terrible. Everyone was focused on the fact that the indexes made new lows last week. Um, but Ned Davis Research was pointing it out that when you get these big declines. You don't just because it has traded a new low doesn't mean that the retest of the low has failed. They actually said that the median uh, decline below the original low is 3.9%. And it's not until you get 5% below that the retest has failed. So we're still in this range. We're, um, you know, actually, I think the S&P is getting very close to that uh, that June low from before. And so they've, they've concluded that um, you know, it's, it's their quote is, it's plausible that we can still have a sex, successful retest of the lows. Um, and, and so I think that's the first thing to important to, to look at is that for now, at least the market hasn't hit an, a low enough low to say that it's broken through that bottom of the year. Um, 
the, the other thing that we have to look out for is um, what we call, um, you know, breadth thrusts. Breadth thrusts. Um, that's when tons of stocks go up. Unfortunately, those have been something that uh, haven't worked very well this year. We keep getting them, and then they're followed almost immediately by negative breadth thrusts when, um, you know, you get days where 495 of 500 S&P stocks are down. Um, so those haven't worked so well. The other thing that concerns the folks at NDR is that you're having more uh, stocks, at least in the all-country world index, so not the S&P 500, but this is a global index. Um, you're having more stocks trading below their, uh, are making new lows than were back in June. Um, and that, that to them is, uh, is a problem. Um, but in the United States, I was actually surprised last week, despite the, uh, I think it was a 3% drop or, or so in the NASDAQ. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Breath wasn't terrible on the week. Um, and so th there's still some pockets of, you know, some buying in there, even though we're, we're starting to see some of the, I guess what would be a little worrisome to me is we're starting to see stocks that held up better than others like Apple are starting to get a hit a little harder and that could be worrisome. But that's what you really want to see. You want to see the breadth pick up you want to see this not hit that 5% area there. But I think the most important thing is it really is going to come down to the Fed um, and how much uh, it has to keep tightening. And that, uh, you know, we really might not know until, um, you know, the next meeting, which uh, doesn't come until November. Right. So we have a ways to go, but all good points to watch for. So next week, we're going to have the start of third quarter earnings season. I want to spend a moment on that. I want to remind listeners that we'll take questions at the end of the call. So please type in anything you'd like to ask us. Third quarter earnings season is a big one for the markets. This time around, we're going to see who's got pricing power, who's been able to pass along higher costs, and which companies can't. And I just want to get an overview. Then we'll talk about some specific companies. But what is the general sentiment on Wall Street going into third quarter earnings season? You know, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, you know, there's, uh, I think, expectations that the numbers are going to be worse. Um, we've seen uh, 15 companies already report. Um, and, you know, it's a, these are sort of those weird calendar ones. Um, nine beat five missed and one was in line, but so many big companies really disappointed, um, the likes of FedEx, Nike, Micron. Um, and the big issue is that profit margins are really going in the wrong direction. The other issue is that, you know, Wall Street has been cutting their earnings estimates. Um, they've come down about 6.6% over the last 90 days, and that's more than usual. Um, and uh, they expect the um, the earnings to be above uh, um, a year ago. Uh, so it's coming to $55.51 for the quarter. Um, and, and that's, it, it's it's difficult to know if that's enough. Um, the other problem is that the it, it might not actually be the quarter. They might actually be enough for the third quarter, but it's the guidance that's going to be a problem. Newberger Berman was pointing out that you had um, 2023 earnings forecasts have only come down 2%. Um, and you know that's that that's that's not a lot. And 2023 looks like one that can be a, a bigger issue. Um, and so, you know, the, the good news is with stocks down so much, um, you could get you know it might be enough that you get a rally in some of them if they're able to beat numbers that have been reduced um, enough. Um, but on a longer term basis, you're looking at a market, and I think you know I mentioned this before. Let, let's call 15 times. Um, earnings fair value. So right now, that's based on 2023 earnings of $240 a share. 
that's still expecting um, quite a big jump in earnings. They're expecting um, 221 for 22 right now, or two, uh, closer to closer to 222. Um, and so, if you get don't get that growth in earnings, um, so let's say 200 that. Uh, 2023's earnings look like 2022s that we get 221.82 instead of 240. Then the then the S&P 500 should be trading at 3300. Um, and so there's it's those earnings numbers that we just don't know enough about yet. And I think they're still probably too high and have to come down. And then it becomes a question of how much do people want to pay for those earnings? It's a simple math problem in some ways. In some ways, though, except you know that PE is the one that is not something that, you know, you have to guess what that's going to be. Right. Um, it's math plus emotion. Yep. They're very a, much. A tough combination. So we've got three food related companies reporting this week. I should say food and drink. We've yeah. got Conagra on Thursday, Constellation Brands on Thursday, and McCormick on Thursday. It'll be a busy day in the industry. Let's start with Conagra. Maybe give me a minute or so on the outlook for the company. So they're, they're growing earnings. They're, they're supposed to report a profit of 52 cents a share, and that would be up from 50 cents. Um, so earnings growth is obviously good. Um, and it's um, they look like they're going to, the, the, the issue with them arises in their yearly guidance. Um, it doesn't look like they're going to raise their earnings even if they beat. Um, and that's just because there is, you know, problems with, uh, you know, inputs and you just in this kind of volatility you don't want to change things and uh, the analysts at credit suisse aren't sure how that is going to be um um it, how the market will re will react to that um they worry that the um the portfolio is gonna be is gonna prove vulnerable is their word to um to people trading down basically because um they have a lot of uh, exposure to what they call um what the credit suisse calls price sensitive low income consumers that they'll trade down to the private label brands from the um from the company's own from conagra's brands and that, that could weigh down um future profits. So um, they're a little cautious on it. The stock has actually held up really well this year. Um, it's down only four and a half percent. And that's it, likely because it's a fairly defensive building and business. It is still growing earnings. Um, the good news uh, on it, if you want to consider good news, is that the stock has been falling, including this day where everyone is uh, really excited about the market. The stock is down just a touch, 0.03%. Um, because people don't feel the need for defensive at this point. Um, and so if you get enough of a drop heading into the number, you could get a pop on the stock. I think find that that's been a very good uh, measure of what a stock will do on earnings day. Okay, something to look forward to. Constellation Brands also reports, as I mentioned Thursday, the stock is doing pretty well this year. It's off only 7%. What's the outlook there? So they're uh, expected to report a profit of 280 versus uh, 252 the year before. So again, another company that's growing. This is going to be their toughest quarter for their beer business. Um, last uh, year um, for this quarter, they grew their um, I think their sales by 12 percent. Um, and you know if McCown has done some surveys and things, and they actually think sales have held up pretty well and could beat that number. Um, and because they're selling more beer um, and the, the wonders of operating leverage, they actually might be able to keep their margins pretty much where they are, despite all these price pressures everybody has seen. Um, the other thing that is interesting about Constellation Brands has nothing to do with earnings. Um, you know, this this earnings report is is the big thing. And then in 
um, about a month later, you're going to get a vote by shareholders that would take the company um, from being dual share class or class A and class B um, and would turn into a single share class. It would mean basically paying the Sands family that owns the uh, the voting shares uh, $1.5 billion. Um, that's a lot of money. It would cause... Uh, um, Constellation's leverage ratio to, to rise, but Cowan also thinks that they can pay it down pretty quickly. I've been pretty optimistic on, on Constellation. I wrote about it in a trader column um, a few weeks ago, largely because, um, I, you know, in some ways they never got into this hard seltzer. I want to call it a fad. Um, I know we all see it in our in our stores, but uh, you know Sam Adams bit big on that, and everyone's like, "Oh, hard seltzer is going to be everything," and they they you know built it out too much, and it's been a huge problem. Constellation didn't. They have good beer brands, um, and they also have taken some steps. You know, the the big fear about them is they have premium brands, and that people might um, um, try to you know they they buy cheaper beer. Um, instead of uh, Constellation's beers, which include uh, Corona. Um, but Constellation has actually taken some steps to make sure that the uh, the prices of their of their beer aren't too high above the others. Hopefully um, not so much that people will trade down, but they feel like they can still afford to buy it. Um, so if um, if there's a recession or something like that. And so um, it, I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it. It's one that even though it's held up better than most this year, right now it's been falling a bit. And um, we'll see what earnings do. All right. I think that discussion about consolidating share classes is interesting, and we ought to explore it a bit more maybe on barons.com. But let's move on to McCormick uh, quickly because I want to get to listener questions. The company pre-announced last month, but what does that really mean? In McCormick's case, not much. Usually that would be your signal, okay, the, the bad news is out there. We're not going to even worry so much about the the earnings uh, call when they have it. Um, but the the problem is Deutsche Bank was noting that they're still getting calls from the buy side, um, from fund managers, and uh, wondering um, how much f- further downside remains and whether um, the uh, management's updated uh, 2022 um, guidance, uh, you know, does this actually represent a bottom and inflection point heading into next year, or is there still more pain to come? And, and I think that's what everyone's going to try to figure out on, on the call is, like, you know, is there more pain to come? And and with McCormick, it, it's a tough one because they, you know, they make pretty high-index spices, and you can really buy cheaper spices. I've personally, and this means absolutely nothing, but I'm going to say it anyway, I've rarely bought McCormick just because it is so much more expensive than the store brand spices. And my palate isn't um, sensitive enough, I guess, to, to tell the difference. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I can imagine that uh, I'm I, that there are people out there who have bought McCormick that are, are going to trade down. So, um, you know, it, it is an interesting one, uh, given that, though, as I said, the stock has been really beaten down. Um, I think it's uh, off um, uh, this year. It's, um, oh, I lost the number. Oh, it's off 25% this year. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, and, and it could be that uh, that is enough. Um, the stock, though, has been, you know, trading new lows um, throughout all this. And there isn't a ton of support around. So um, it's one that I, I would actually try to stay away from. All right. Well, I can tell you it's not a cooking show, but you can go much higher in price than McCormick. I sometimes have. All right. Let's get to listener questions. We have some good ones here. Uh, Many good ones, actually. We had a question about, um, looking for it, uh, 
from Armando, when do you expect rotation from COVID cyclicals back to tech stocks? That's kind of the question of the market in some ways. When are, when are growth stocks going to be riding high again? Um, I mean, there, there are two ways to look at it. We're going to get a bounce in growth stocks. Um, they've been beaten up um, largely because of yields, and we're probably seeing a shift that will be underway going from um, – where people were worried about the impact of the Fed's tightening on um, on valuations. That's the first step. Uh, the Fed starts tightening, valuations start going down. And since growth stocks were the most expensive, they got hit the hardest. Um, we're going to shift from that into the, and we already ha- have, I think, made the, started making the shift into worrying about the impact on earnings, which is going to hurt cyclicals more. And so there is going to come a time, and it might be even now, that growth stocks start to do better uh, than, than, than value, um, and certainly cyclical value um, in, the, in the near term. Um, I do think that we are still in a, um, in, in a place where, you know, you have this, um, you, the market goes in cycles, and it, it, things work well and then they don't. And so you had like the bank stocks were the best performers into the financial crisis and the bank stocks have been terrible ever since. Um, and before that, you had the tech stocks were fantastic into the, the dot-com bubble. And it wasn't until after the financial crisis that tech really was able to start outperforming again. And so my worry here is that we're just going to be in a position where growth is out of favor for a while. And I don't know how long. Um, but, um, you know, there it's, I, I think it's going to be a lot about buying companies that, you know, it's going to be about the earnings, it's going to be about the growth. It's not going to be about the, the, the PE expansion the way that it had been for so long. So we should say growth will be out of favor because growth will be much diminished from where it was. Right. Growth in general, economically. So Uday has a question about small cap stocks and what the outlook is there. Um, you know, they've gotten hit so much harder um, right. than, than everything else. Um, and, and again, for them, it, but it makes sense. These are companies who need who need to raise money a lot of the time. Um, you know, if they're not profitable, um, they, they need to raise money to keep business going. And that is going to be a lot more expensive. You know, when money was free, um, it, it was great to be, you know, a small cap biotech stock trying to come up with the, the next uh, big drug. Um, because it, financing it was easy. Uh, it's not going to be easy anymore. Um, and so I think there, you know, it, it, there's there's going to be a, there has been a washout. There's there's going to be more. And I think it has to again shift away from just buying them as a group to being selective in the ones that uh, um, in in the, in the growth stocks that you really think can make it. Uh, the ones that can get profitable. Um, and and so it's I, I hate to say it, but it's going to be more about stock picking than just picking. The, the sector as a whole. All right. Well, active management is returning. That that would be quite something. Can be any good. <laughs> right. So we have a question from Fred. He wants to know: Can the Fed control inflation without fiscal intervention in the form of increased progressive taxation to reduce demand? Um, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, very good. Honestly, I would like to think so. Um, it just takes more pain um to the economy um the we saw what happened with the mismatch between what the uh the central bank was trying to do and what the government was doing in the reaction to uh, over in the uk um where you know there's it was just you know things fell apart quickly over there 
Um, and so I think the, the fiscal side, you have to be careful with and slowing down some of the fiscal things would make the, the Fed's job easier. Um, I, I always think that the, everyone expects the uh, Fed to be a miracle worker. Um, you know, like uh, 2009, um, you know, the, the U.S. really could have used more, um, more stimulus spending. Um, instead, we ended up with a, a decade of very slow growth. Um, and, you know, th th we don't need the fiscal spending nearly as much now. Um, and so it makes the Fed harder the more the government spends. So, yes, coming up with ways to um, to, to um, reduce that would help the Fed. Um, I, I wouldn't get too excited about it happening, at least not anytime soon. Okay. We have a question from Steve. He says, you mentioned Apple, which indeed you did, and people consider Apple to be the last tech stock to fall. We talked about this a little bit last Thursday on Barron's Live. It fell last week, but the question is, has it fallen enough for the overall market to capitulate and finally go higher? Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, I don't that's think smart so. listeners. Yeah, no, we have very smart listeners. It's what makes working at Barron so great. Um, I don't think so. Um, I just, I think that there's, um, you know, it, it, we're going to see rotations from, you know, it's, it's a good sign when people start selling Apple. It was one of the last stocks standing. Um, but I think there's more out there you know, to sell. It's when people are so afraid to buy stocks, that's when it bottoms. And we're all still asking, well, what should I be buying? What should I be buying? And maybe that's because of this audience. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, as terrifying as things are, they aren't, you know, scaring us witless yet. Don't um, bother me with stock talk anymore, means the bottom. Is that what you're saying? Basically. You, you said it much better than I did. <laughs> All right. So we've entered the silly season. That's the midterms. We have a question from Howard. What effect will midterm election results have on the market? I suppose it depends who wins, but in many cases, not much, right? Well, for, for people who expect a, a stock market rally, the fact that we have the midterm coming up is actually a good thing. Um, the, the stock market almost always rallies um, starting about a couple of weeks before the election um, and rallies into the end, uh, end of the year. It doesn't always happen, but it usually happens. Um, and is that because there's more certainty? I, I believe so. You know, it's just this election hangs over things. You don't know who's going to be in charge. Um, and... So I, th I think that uh, just getting past it will, will probably be a good thing. Um, I don't want to comment on the politics of it. Obviously, there will be you know different things happening if uh, there is a uh, you know if the Republicans win both houses of Congress or or even just one of them. Um, you know, probably lawmaking comes to it comes to a halt, um, and not much is going to happen. And markets have you know they say typically liked uh, um, when when nothing happens. Um, but uh, I, I think one is gridlock. Yes, um, and but I, I but I think that just the fact that it's uh, going to happen, it's going to be over, will probably help. We'll be covering the elections in detail this year, particularly looking at some of the big issues. So Ben, I know we said that when people stop asking what should I buy, it's time to buy. But I have to comment that Barron's had a lot of good investment ideas in this past weekend's issue, and maybe in closing, you can just run through some of the more interesting ones that we put before readers, something to think about. Sure. I mean, we had a big story on bonds. 
um, you know, bonds are finally yielding. Um, you know, it, it's great when, you know, I'm getting uh, any, I, it's not even a bond for, you know, my high yield savings account that I have with, uh, with the bank. You know, I'm getting emails now about my rates going up. Um, they're still too low. I'm at, you know, 2.15%, I think, but, you know, it's getting a lot lower than that uh, just a little while ago. Um, and there's a lot of yield to be had out there, um, even going short term. Um, you know, you can get 4% in a two-year. Um, you can buy uh, short-term corporate bonds. Um, there's an ETF for that called the Vanek Short-Term Corporate Bond ETF, VCSH, that, that Lawrence mentioned. Um, so so there are a lot of places there. Um, we had um, our guide to wealth, and that had, uh, you know, five picks from uh, five different advisors about what to own um, that included Amazon, which was a pick of Barron's a little while ago, Canadian Pacific Railway. Um, it's the only railway that goes all the way from Canada and into Mexico. Um, and uh, one of the advisors like that one, Microsoft got mentioned, Chevron did too, and then our advertising, which I wasn't familiar with, but they're billboard owner. Yeah, so, that one surprised me too. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. And even... Yeah. And even our tech uh, trader column came up with, you know, semiconductors are really out of favor right now. You know, you don't want to own Intel, you don't want to own NVIDIA, or you haven't wanted to own them. Um, they've just, just been terrible. But uh, tech trader offered up a, a few that, uh, you know, done, you know, okay. Uh, on semiconductors is one, uh, that's O-N, NXP semiconductor, NXPI, STM microelectronics, that's STM. Um, and we even looked at, and this surprised me, but uh, Al Root looked at a, a bunch of SPACs. Um, SPACs have been terrible and deservedly so. They all came out. They said they were going to make oodles of money, have tons of sales, and most of them are coming nowhere near what their projections were. But surprise, Al, surprise. Surprise, surprise. But Al actually found some that have not only met those targets, but have exceeded them. And there, there's some fun stocks, things like uh, Luminar, which makes LiDAR, um, which uh, helps with car safety, but also will help with autonomous driving. Rocket Lab, um, which is kind of the, you know, SpaceX is the big space company that everybody wants to emulate. Rocket Lab is probably the, the number two. Um, they're actually launching rockets. They have a business. Uh, uh, it's it's pretty interesting. And then you even have things like uh, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, but Vacus. Um, it's a competitor to Airbnb and Vivid Seats, which um, is a competitor of like SeatGeek and uh, Ticketmaster. And I believe both of those are actually profitable. Um, so so you have some interesting companies out there, uh, even in this market that's gotten pretty beaten up. As you said, it's a good time for stock ticking. Very much. And bond picking too. And that's what we did. So we're going to have to end it there. We went over a bit today, but I thank you so much, Ben. And I thank our listeners for staying with us. And thanks for your good questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the subject is cloud computing and 1.0 fund CEO and tech analyst Beth Kindig will talk with MarketWatch tech editor Jeremy C. Owens about the metrics that matter for cloud software companies and what else to watch from the tech sector as third quarter earnings roll in? Should be an interesting and important call. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.